All right, thanks, Pastor Scott. Um, I feel like I speak a lot louder than most of you. Sorry about that. Um, so it's good to be here. It's good to be back at 316 at a church that um, and, and people that I really hold uh, close to my heart. Um, I can't believe it's been like, so we're trying to do the math. I think it's been three years or, or at least we're in our third year at Hills Church. And it's one of those feelings where you're like, has it really been that long? And at the same time, coming back, it doesn't feel like it's been that long at all because I walked in and I was like, I wasn't expecting it to feel so much like home coming back. And so I just want to say I appreciate you guys and, and I love the fact that I can be here with you. Um, so this morning, what I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to begin by asking you a question. So I'm going to get your brains you know, in gear and warming up um, with this cold weather. So the first thing I wanted to sort of just ask you is, you know, can you think back to when you were younger, when you were either in primary school, high school, maybe in your early young adult years, but what was that one thing that you were obsessed with? Like the thing that you knew everything about, you know, the thing that you, you spent a lot of time either doing or crafting. It might be music, uh, listening to or playing music. It might be a hobby. Um, you know, it, it might even be um, a certain band or a TV show, hopefully it's not just a person you're obsessed with, you know. But there was one thing that you really enjoyed doing and knew everything about. And what I'd like you to do, Pastor Scott might have issues trying to do this, but turn to the person next to you and let them know what was that one thing, share that one thing that you were obsessed with. And if you can't think of something, that's right, just say good morning to the person next to you. Okay. We might bring it back in. Um, I'm assuming that if this was the one thing you were obsessed with, you might be able to talk about it for a while, but um, that's okay. You might have more opportunity later. So before I share the one thing that I was obsessed with, just up on the screen, um, there'll be a QR code. If you'd like to follow along on the notes, you can scan that and it'll just pop up um, if you'd like to. Otherwise, it'll all be on the screen. So for me, the one thing I was obsessed with when I was growing up was skateboarding. It was the one thing that I just thought about all the time. And I, I remember running home every afternoon to my bedroom and I grabbed my skateboard and I'd run back to the outside just so I could skate all the time. And the cool thing was when I was in primary school, we lived in Sanford and we were renting a place where they had an in-ground swimming pool that was empty And what they decided to do was just to put this concrete slab over the top of it instead of filling it in. And so for a kid who wanted to be a pro skater one day, this was amazing because it meant I had my own bit of concrete I could skate on and, um, you know, practice and get better and better and, and, and I could skate whenever I wanted. Now, the thing is, when I couldn't skate, like it was a rainy day or it was getting dark and I needed to come inside, the skating didn't end there. I would head inside and I'd play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on computer. I don't know if anyone remembers Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I got a copy in a cereal box. I don't know how or why they were doing that, but I got a disc and I could play that. It was one of my favorite games. The other thing I'd do is I would, you know, I'd read magazines uh, about skateboarding. And for those of you under 25, it's like Pinterest on your iPad, but in paper. So it was good. And the cool thing about the paper version was you could cut out, you know, images and stuff like that and post them on your wall And it was great. I absolutely loved it. I was immersed in this skateboarding culture to the point where everything I did was through the lens of skating. Everything I saw, 
you know, we'd be out for a drive and I'd, I'd see a set of stairs. I'd go, oh, could I, could I make it down there? I'd see a garden edge that was sort of like slooped and I'd be like, oh man, that looks like a skate ramp. I could skate that. And yes, I was that kid. I'm the reason they have those annoying bars on the seats so that you can't do it. Anyway, we won't go there. So everything I did was surrounded with skateboarding to the point where it's been like 15 years since I've skated. It's been 15 years, I reckon, since I've actually properly skateboarded. But I reckon I could probably still do an ollie. And an ollie is just a jump on flat ground. And to prove that, I borrowed a skateboard from one of the youth at my church, and I'm going to give it a go. And I hope this is okay. Um, Better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? Uh, Risk assessment. You know, the funny thing is, when I did this last week at Hills, someone asked the exact same question. And as a good youth pastor, I will do one. It may just be after the date. (laughs) All right. Okay, we'll see how we go. If I land this, I would love some encouragement because it has been a while. And the only one I did was last week, and I think that was a fluke. So let's see. I reckon I can still do this. Are we ready, church? That's good. One person's ready. Here we go. Don't break the mic. Here we go. Ready? Woo! All right. Okay. Wasn't my most smooth landing, but we got it. So, it still takes it out of me, though. So, here we go. So, even after 15 years, after being immersed in this culture of skateboarding, there's still this muscle memory. And it's soaked into the core. And so here's my first point I want to make this morning. My first point that I want to make this morning is that what we immerse ourselves in is what we absorb and become. What we immerse ourselves in is what we absorb and become. So I, I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that all of you have experienced this at some point, whether you've recognized it or not. When you think about not just the things we're obsessed with, but attitudes and um, you know, actions and that sort of thing can be affected as well. When you think about, you know, maybe you've experienced, say, a show or something like that, and you thought, oh, it was pretty good. It was a good show. I didn't mind it. But you've got a friend who's with you who's maybe a little bit more nitpicky, and they'd be like, well, you know, I felt like the transitions weren't that great and maybe the lighting wasn't 100%. And you start to take on those thoughts and attitudes. I mean, the reverse is true too. Like we can have positive people around us that do that. But the more we hang out with people, the more we um, immerse ourselves in that, we start to take on their thoughts and their attitudes for the, for the worse or for the better. And so what we immerse ourselves in is what we absorb and become. And so what I want us to consider this morning We've had a bit of fun, but what I want us to consider is what if we applied that same attitude of fully immersing ourselves to that of Christ-likeness, what we are called to be is Christ-like. What if we decided, you know what, I want to be fully immersed in this? What would that look like? I mean, I reckon we would have life that has got purpose and meaning and direction and hope. It'd probably make a difference. I think there's just so many positives to living a life that is Christ-like. It's almost like, well, why why wouldn't we want to be fully immersed in that? 
I guess the question is how? How do we fully immerse ourselves in this? Well, you'll notice that I said that I wonder what would happen if we apply the same attitude to full immersion, not, you know, the same process, because it's a different process. For skateboarding or a hobby or anything like that, what you do is you, you work harder. You set your sights on the next goal, the next thing that you need to do to work harder to be, to be the best that you can, right, at skateboarding or uh, I don't know what you guys shared with each other. But you work hard at it. Whereas when it comes to Christ-likeness, it's sort of flipped on its head. You start at the source and we work back from there. And so, just losing my spot, which is okay. I'll get there. That's right. So, although every Christian wants to, every good Christian wants to become more Christ-like, I find that often our best efforts and our best um, intentions to be more and more Christ-like seem to fall short. You know, our our um, ability to do the best we can seems to always fall short. And and when we try to work harder to become more like Christ, often those human efforts come to two places. We either turn into someone who is very legalistic and we're like, well, you know what? I'm good. I made it to this level. Or we tend to be disappointed, which it was my story, because we never seem to make it to this place where we we're good 100% of the time or we live up to a certain standard all the time. That was my experience, I must say, growing up. I knew that we were supposed to be Christ-like. I knew that holiness was a thing that we spoke about all the time and something that we were supposed to live out. And I just felt like I never lived up to that standard, no matter how hard I tried. And so there must have been something more. You know, there must be something more than striving. And so Christ-likeness, as my next um, slide says, only Christ brings Christ-likeness, right? We don't strive for it. In fact, it's an inside job. It's something that starts from the inside out, right? Only Jesus brings that inside of us. So instead of working harder towards Christ-likeness, this is what we do. We start with Christ doing a work in us. We start with him doing something inside of us. In fact, um, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, it talks about this concept well. And this gives us a bit of an idea. It's like, well, what, what does that mean? You're saying God does a work in us. Okay, sweet. What's next? How does that even happen? And so let me read this to you. Um, so Ephesians 4, 22, verse 24. It's probably a bit hard to read, but that's okay. I'll read it out to you. So it says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So here's the calling. This first bit is the calling. It's calling us to something more than this life that, that we're trying to pursue, this life that, you know, we're trying to find meaning and, and purpose and, and joy in the things around us. It says throw that off because in the end, it's just deception because it's temporary. It's things that you can be taken away. They may be good. It may be okay to find joy in these things, but it can't be our source of it because it can be taken away. So there must be more. So here's the process in verse 23. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. 
Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. All right, so it starts with the Holy Spirit's pouring out in our life. Mark Wilson, in his book, Filled Up, Poured Out. It's a really good book, Filled Up, Poured Out. If you've got the um, notes on your phone, there's a link to the book if you'd like to look at it. But Filled Up, Poured Out, he um, uses the image of a sponge to illustrate this concept. He calls it spongeology, um, the theology of a sponge, right? Um, and so when I read this quote, I want you to visualize this process. I was tempted to throw up a picture of my favorite cartoon, SpongeBob SquarePants, but I thought that might be more distracting than helpful. So you can just use your own imagination as I read this out. So let me read this quote to you. It says, Mr. Sponge is dry, crusty, and inflexible. Though made to release water, we, uh, he will never accomplish this unless he takes a dip in the bucket. Like a sponge that soaks in water until saturated, Christ calls us to immerse ourselves in his love until his presence permeates every pore. We then serve in the overflow. So Christian ministry is not therefore a matter of working harder to, um, for Jesus but allowing Jesus to do his mighty work in and through you. Now, I love this quote because it explains so well what Paul was communicating in the passage we just read. You know, it says, throw off your sinful nature. Immerse yourself in Christ's love for you. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit's presence to permeate every pore inside of you. You see, Paul states that the Holy Spirit's presence in your life renews your thoughts and your attitudes to reflect that of God's, which is truly righteous and holy. You know, righteous meaning good, virtuous, upright, upstanding, decent, worthy, you know, all these good things. And holy meaning set apart for, good, for God's good purposes. You know, if our thoughts and attitudes reflect that of Christ's, you can guarantee that it's going to positively affect the way we see other people, how we treat them, and even how we respond to circumstances in our lives. You know, we're going to have a much better way of responding to these things or even to interacting with people. And it's not that we're trying harder to be a better person to these people, but it just it's coming naturally out of us because we're already soaked in God's thoughts and attitudes. I want to give you a moment to consider the people or even just the person in your life that seems most like Jesus to you. just want you to think about that. Who's the person that most seems like Jesus to you? I mean, why did you think of this person? What qualities mark them as Christ-like? My guess is it didn't have anything to do with their long hair or their beard or even, you know, their job or their status or gender or age or anything like that. Instead, you chose them because they exuded Christ's love in all that they did. You know, you just, you just knew that they cared. In my experience, these are the sorts of people who make you feel good about yourself while at the same time encouraging you to be the best version of yourself, the truest version of yourself, right? And I, it, that's a weird 
tension there. Like you feel good and yet you've been challenged. And I think that that's amazing. You know, there's a few people in my life who I think of when I think of this. You know, one of them is your very own Pastor Scott. You know, he's a, he's a great man. And I often, when I chat with him, I walk away just feeling a little bit taller, right? You know, because I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do this, man. Thanks, dude. I can do this, you know. Um, and I think that's great. Another bloke that really has impacted my life a lot, and I've shared this with a lot of people, is Alan Bell. Now, he is an avocado farmer in Maryborough, runs an avocado farm, and I worked for him for a while, um, picking fruit and just being a farmhand. So he taught me how to drive a tractor, you know, how to, even one with a front-end loader. That was a lot of fun. I loved driving that one. And, um, you know, how to skirt trees and all these different skills. He invested in me because he believed that I was worthwhile investing in. And whenever we were working together, he would always be challenging me and just showing that he cared. He'd often be like, Adam, are you watching? Like, yeah, what's going on? Like, can you hear what's going on? And I'm like, gee, I, I don't know, man. Can you just tell me? But he was just encouraging me to think about what was happening. And he would encourage me in my walk with God and also, you know, pull me up when I needed to be pulled up. But the thing is, he had already showed how much he cared, so I was willing to hear. And I think that that's a very Christ-like attitude. Someone who cares so much about you that they're able to speak into your life in love, no matter whether it's something that you want to hear or not. And so I think that that's great. So there's only one caution I really want to give to you about Mark Wilson's spongeology, right? You know, he's talking about this idea of a sponge. You know, like a sponge that releases water, well, it's made to release water. Like them, they need to go back to the bucket in order to absorb more water to release. We must continuously go back to the source of perfect love, which is Jesus. We have to keep going back to that source. Because if we don't continuously immerse ourselves in his love through spiritual disciplines like, you know, prayer, fasting, you know, reading the scriptures, devotions, just to name a few, just intentional time with God. Time you go, you know what, I am focused in on him. If we don't do this, we will start to run empty. And more importantly, we'll start to absorb other less than helpful things because we're made to absorb things. We're made to soak up new things. So we need to go back to the source daily. And so my final point for you today is immerse yourself in Christ daily. That's what we need to do. If we want to be Christ-like, if we want to be absorbing, you know, the love of Christ to the point where it's just, we're saturated and we just can't help it, just starts to leak out over everyone who gets near us. You know, those sorts of people where they just can't help it then we need to be immersing ourselves in Christ daily. And when we do that, there's no longer this striving to be a better Christian. There's no longer this striving to, to try to live up to a standard. It's just something that just, it's just a part of us. It's Christ working in you and me. So I want to leave you with my three top tips. You know, I've told you, immerse yourself in Christ. You know, we want to be Christ-like. How do we do that? 
I've got some suggestions. Now, I want to say these aren't like the be-all to end-all way to immerse yourself in Christ. But this is just my experience. This is what I've found to work. And I'm hoping that it's broad enough that you can just take it and work with it. And so remembering that we always begin with the source, that is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit's outpouring in us. Remembering that, here's my top tips. Number one is that, and it'll be up on the screen too. So number one is start at the beginning of the day. I think this is important. This is key. I know for some of you, especially those with kids, um, it can be difficult to carve out time in the morning. I get that. Or maybe, you know, for you, you're like, oh, well, I'm not a morning person. You know, I, I prefer the evening. That's when I do my devotions. I'm like, cool, do your devotions at the end of the day. That's fine. But what I would encourage you to do is to start your day acknowledging that the day is the Lord's. You know, Start the day by filling that sponge with something good. And for me, this is what I do. You know, my mornings vary, whether I have time to do an in-depth devotion or like, or an in-depth time with God, or maybe I'm just rushing to get out the door. No matter what happens, I open the Bible app and I read the verse of the day and I commit that to the Lord as a prayer. You know, that's my recognizing that this day is the Lord's and you know what? I think when we start the day with Jesus, we're starting the day with the good stuff. That's what we're doing. We're starting with the good stuff. And there's only so much space we have to absorb things. So if we've, absorb, if we've absorbed all of you know, what Christ has to say about us, there's just no room for anything else that doesn't align with that. We're just like, well, it's so full. It's so good. So start at the beginning of the day, no matter what that looks like for you. Number two, is to consider what you are entertaining yourself with. This is something I was, I was challenged on about a year ago. Um, in our young adults um, Bible study, um, Nicole Webb was actually sharing that she was um, being, like, she was like, this is something I've been thinking about of late and in, in doing so it encouraged me. But she said, you know, consider what you've been, what you're entertaining yourself with. And at this time I was watching a TV series which I absolutely loved watching. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad or good, but I was watching uh, the show Friends, right? And I thought it was funny. I love it. But because we have Netflix and you can binge something, you know, episode after episode after episode, I was finding myself being immersed in this series to the point where when, you know, um, either Chandler or Joey or whoever, you know, those guys, when they were having issues... I was thinking of solutions that fit their worldview, fits their idea of norm, and it didn't necessarily align with Christ's values. And I was wishing those things upon them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is starting to absorb into my thoughts and attitudes. And so for me, that's what I'm saying. For me, I felt like, okay, this isn't working. I need to do something about this. And so hear me out. I'm not saying do or don't watch this show, but consider for yourself what is it that you're entertaining yourself with and how is that affecting you? How is that being absorbed? Um, we have another verse to go up there. Philippians 4, 8 gives us some guidance on this. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure 
and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You'll notice that this list is both exhaustive, it's, it's, a, it's a big list, but at the same time, it's very general because there are a lot of things in life that are both, that, that, that are not necessarily bad, but not necessarily beneficial. You know, there are plenty of good things out there that sometimes we can use to excess. And so we need to consider individually, what are these things and how are they affecting me? Something doesn't have to be Christian to be good, admirable, uplifting, like necessarily branded as Christian. There are plenty of things out there that are still good. So it's a bit of a gray area to a certain degree. But I think when it comes down to it, if we're prayerfully considering, we'll know. We'll know. And if you need help, chat to your pastor. He'll help you out. (laughs) So consider what you're entertaining yourself with. The last one that I wanted to share with you is, and I think this one's really important. Actively ask, what is God doing in this moment? Actively ask, what is God doing in this moment? A couple of weeks ago, we had a pastors and leaders development, professional development day here at 316. And uh, Pastor, was it Pastor Rick? Rick Lewis. Is it Dr. Pastor? I don't know. Rick Lewis, he's, a, he's, he's written a book. And he, he came and he asked us these questions, which I thought were really, really helpful. I'm going to ask the same thing to you. He said, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? And I'll be honest, a lot of us pastors and leaders went, yes, we do. That's exactly what we believe. And it's good. It's true. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. But here's the question he followed up with. He said, if so, can you tell me what he's doing? And I just noticed the room at that point just kind of went a little bit more quiet. And we're all like, hmm, it's a good question. It's a good question. You see, there are so many things that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us, so many lessons that he wants to, to impart into us. And we miss them a lot of the time simply because we don't stop to reflect on this question, what is the Holy Spirit doing in my life? Or, you know, what is God doing in this moment? So many opportunities to learn, so many opportunities to reach out just because we didn't take time. But the good news is there's no time like now. You can do this at any point, but I'd encourage you to do it more often than not. What is the Holy Spirit doing in me and in others right now? So those are my top three Start at the beginning of the day. You know, fill your tank up with the good stuff. Consider what you're entertaining yourself with. Is it good? Is it holy? Is it upright? Is it good? And then lastly, actively ask yourself, what is God doing in this moment? And this is the best, well, this is one of the ways to immerse yourself in Christ-likeness. So church, if you want to do, do this, if you want to um, you know, live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, but also has purpose and meaning, direction, then let's start now. Let's just commit to surrendering to the love of God, allowing him to pour into our hearts. And let's do that. Let's pray. I want to invite the band to come up and um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that, you know, we don't walk this road alone.
God, that come what may, you are with us. And God, I just want to pray for those right now who might be experiencing a tough patch. Um, Lord, those that are um, experiencing um, trials or even trauma in their life, God, I just pray that you would encourage them. Lord, help them to, to look up just high enough to see that you are there beside them. And God, that you call them to just, just follow you. God, I want to pray that this week, as we go about our, our, our normally daily routines, Lord, that we would include you in that. And God, maybe, maybe even just change a few things. God, I, um, I want to pray that um, this week that, that we can be Christ to those around us. Lord, we thank you for those people who have been Christ to us, those people who have encouraged us and who have just loved us out of the overflow of the love that you poured out on them. And God, we help us to be that people to others. You know, we know what it is to have someone come alongside us to encourage us and to just, just be there. Lord, let that be an encouragement for us to do the same. And ultimately, we know Jesus did that for us. And we thank you for it. In your precious name, amen. Thank you, church.